Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. Um, We cherish it and we love it, and we ask God that you would speak through it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 15's parables, we are reminded in verses 7, 10, and 24 of the celebration over one sinner who repents, but we don't read of any losses. There are no losses that are recorded in our stories here, particularly in the parable of the prodigal son. We don't read of any loss to the father. Now what I want to point out before we wrap up chapter 15 here is there is actually a significant cost for our salvation from God the Father. And so it's really important that we don't overlook that or that we forget that. That the cost of our atonement was Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And it's important to point this out because His grace, His love, His forgiveness, His mercies are non-existent without this costly price paid for by God the Father and Jesus His Son. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He also wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So the price that God paid for our atonement is very dear. And the design for our salvation is costly. The design and implementation of the plan of redemption is written about in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 through 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. 
The will of God the Father whose will was to crush His Son, put Him to grief, is the same Father who in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17 said, This is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so what a dear price God paid. And when we read the parable of the prodigal son, may we not think that it was not costly, that it didn't cost anything because we don't read of any losses to that father. It was very costly. So keep in mind that God is joyful to forgive sin, but it's at a cost. The death of His Son, Jesus, who resurrected from the dead so that we may be set free from our sin and become His sons and daughters. Our life with Him is impossible without Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, how are the prodigal sons like you and me redeemed from what Jesus did on the cross? When He said in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He died there on that cross and three days later He arose. Last week, we took a look at the younger son who represents the sinner. And today we're going to take a look at the older brother who is essentially the Pharisees, the religious folks who are grumbling, who are mentioned in verse 2 of chapter 15 there. Those same Pharisees and scribes who grumbled against Jesus thought that they knew all that they needed to know to have a relationship with God. So here we are, Jesus continuing the story and and showing the spotlight on the older son now. Verses 25 and 26. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Do you guys ever ask a question even though you know you're going to hate the answer? Like when you were a kid and you're in the doctor's office and it's time for shots and you ask, are those for me? Yeah, they're for you. When did your parents start seeing a pediatrician? Those are for you, right? Those, that's just the type of question you're asking. Like you, you know you don't want to ask, but you have to ask and you know, all this kind of stuff. When I grew up, when I walked into the pediatrician's office, the shots were laid out on the tray. That's messed up. I didn't even ask. I was just like, oh, man. Four? Just so I could go to school? Nowadays, the kids got it nice. They go in. My kids know that they're not going to get a shot from the doctor because they have a shot clinic. They're cool. They go in the office or whatever. But my kids are getting a little more bright. And so the older two will always ask, do I have to get shots? And so I'm honest with them. I either say yes, no, or I don't know. And so when I say Yes, you are. They're like, oh, and they, they're distressed. And we talk through it and we're like, yeah, you'll, you'll be fine. Just, just do it. And, and they're cool. They're just cool. They go through it. They're a little, you know, distressed, but they're all right. When I say no, it's just like, all right, great. But when they're sick and I say, I don't know, because maybe they're going to ask for a lab and they might draw blood or something. So I don't know if this time you're going to get shots or not. And so they're cool with it. And, you know, we're just completely honest because when I say no shots and the doctor says, yeah, they need shots, I'm like, nope, not this time. I said no. So we're going to have to just do it an hour later. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) But not my Napoleon. Napoleon is our nickname for my youngest daughter. She's almost two. She does not care if there's a shot or no shot. She hates the doctor. She hates the doctor. So she does not care at all. She has it in her head that that's a bad thing and there's no changing her mind about it, that it's a bad experience no matter what. And this is the feeling I get from the older brother. It's this party, it's this thing that no matter what, this is not a good thing. Because I know it's not for me, so this is not a good thing. And so I wonder what was going on in his head. Like, 
what's this party for? Why wasn't I invited to this party? How come I don't even know about this? I'm my father's eldest son. I should know about these things. Verses 27 and 28. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. He refused to go in that house. You guys have been there, haven't you? Your sibling has gotten you so mad that you refuse to sit at the same dining table as that sibling. They're like, I'm not sitting here as long as she's here. I'm not here. And they'll go off to the room or whatever, and you're just trying to figure those. I'm already dealing with that with like five-year-olds and three-year-olds. I don't know what's going to happen when they're older, but I'm already dealing with that. Oh, she's here. She took my doll. I'm not going to have dinner until she's out of the table. Like, wow. Five. This is awesome. I can't wait till they're 16. Or, you know, a friend who has gotten you so mad and you don't want to be anywhere near them and they happen to be having dinner with your roommates back at your apartment or whatever and you're not going to show yourself there because you're just that mad at that person. Or, or married couples who are so mad at each other they can't be in the same house. They're like, I'm not coming back until you leave. You've got to find yourself a hotel room or something. You go stay with your brother or whatever. I don't care. You've got to get out. I'm not coming back until you're out of the house. This is the older brother. He is so upset to see that this party is being thrown for his younger brother, and it, it doesn't matter what the reason is. The, the no reason good enough. The servant gives him a great reason why the father threw him a party. It's back in verse 27. Because he has received him back safe and sound. Instead of joining into the celebration, he, he has this pity party for himself. What is going on with this guy? Well, I think he was really enjoying his self-righteousness. He really liked that. I think he believed that he could earn his father's love. He thought that he was close to his father's heart, but in reality, he's pretty far from it. He, he didn't know how to get close to his father's heart at all, yet he was living under the same roof. And so you recall the first story in chapter 15, the, the lost sheep story, and it starts in verse 4. And then there's the second story of the lost coin that starts in verse 8. We read how the lost sheep and the lost coin stories ended with the invitation to rejoice. But how does the lost son story end? The older brother doesn't join in on the celebration. The people listening to Jesus back then, they probably leaned in a little bit more at this twist of the story. Jesus is such an excellent story twister and just kind of pulling people in and drawing people in. And some of them probably understood that the older brother in that story, he's actually talking Pharisees, did you pick that up? This is so awesome. This story is awesome. He's going to nail them right here. And so how difficult it was for them to rejoice that God would save sinners. Right? Those, those Pharisees who are those people of the land do not associate with them and we're not going to let our kids marry their kids and all that kind of stuff. And so this older brother looked down upon his younger brother just as the Pharisees looked down upon every one of them. And so the older brother was familiar with his younger brother's antics. He couldn't bring himself to celebrate them coming back to the father, even though things have changed. Now, there may be some of us who are like this older brother. There may be people in your life that have come into a relationship with Jesus, but you can't rejoice with them because you can't accept that the invitation of forgiveness was extended to them. How can God possibly forgive him? I mean, do you know how horrific that person's sins are? Do you know what they did to our family? Do you know what they did to me? How can God forgive her? 
Does, does anyone know what she did? Verse 28, the last part. His father came out and entreated him. So do you notice that he asked a servant about what was going on in his father's house? He had access to his father. He could have easily gone to his father. He doesn't ask his father. But you notice the father. The father doesn't send a servant out to talk to him. He goes out himself. And so, so often we ignore God. We, we want to talk to other people. We don't want to just talk directly to God and ask him why or have the questions for him. We want to bypass him. But God consciously moves into our lives. He engages us. He goes out to us. So we ignore God and we consciously move in the other direction of God. I think sometimes because we know exactly how loving God is and how gracious God is. That, you know, if I go to God, He's going to change my heart to forgive that person, and I really don't want to. I want to hate Him. I want to hate her. I don't want any of that kind of reconciliation stuff going on. I like my anger towards that person right now. And so I think a lot of the times we don't approach God is because we know that He's loving. We know that He's gracious. We know He's merciful. And we don't want to live in that reality because our hearts are hardened towards that forgiveness. See, that's what happened to Jonah. Jonah refused to go to Nineveh, and he went the opposite way of where God told him to go. But he eventually goes to Nineveh, and he told them to repent. And so let's pick up the story of Jonah in chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And I think a lot of times this is us. You know, the, the Lord went to him. God comes to us. He, he wants to change our heart and not let us kill ourselves. He is not too proud to reach out to us. The father went out to his older son and he entreated him. The father called out to him. He spoke to him in, in a way of exhortation, comfort, instruction. He didn't go out insisting, demanding him to change. He didn't go out there threatening him, you better get in here or I'm going to cast you out. He didn't do that. He didn't force him to do anything. See, the love of the father is for both sons, the younger and the older. And the one who was overtly sinful outside of the father's kingdom and, and the one who was covertly sinful inside of his father's house, both were rebellious toward the heart of the father. Both were far from the father, even though the older son lived in the very same house. Both of them were lost. Both of them, we see the father going out to them. And to the younger son, he was on the lookout for him. He had compassion on him. He ran out to him. He embraced him. He kissed him. He put the best robe on him. He put a ring on him. He put shoes on him. He threw him a party. He invited him back in. To the older son, he went out to him. And he entreated him. He begged him. He consoled him. He encouraged him to come back in. God seeks the sinners who are far off as well as the sinners who are in his own backyard. And those Pharisees were sinners just like the tax collectors except they didn't have the heart to forgive like God did. And the older brother couldn't forgive like his father could. 
Now last week I suggested that we keep verses 1 and 2 in the back of our mind as we go through chapter 15. And in verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so you see how brilliantly Jesus told the story of the older brother and how fitting it is to the Pharisees as they are hearing this story. They, they are getting hit between the eyes with this story. Jesus receiving and eating with sinners was this celebratory party for the sinners. Yes, He's eating with them. He's celebrating with them. That they have chosen to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And here those Pharisees were. They they were grumbling and not wanting to be part of God's acceptance and forgiveness of their sins. They're outside of the party. They don't want to be any part of it. They're just kind of outside grumbling, being the huffy older brother out there. And here Jesus is entreating them, telling them, come on. Don't just stand out there grumbling about why you don't get to eat or whatever. Come in. And the Pharisees didn't think that tax collectors, sinners, were deserving to eat with a rabbi, deserving to eat with a prophet. And since Jesus did eat with them, you know, he must not be a very godly man. He must not be a prophet. He must not be a very good rabbi because if he was, he'd be eating with us. And the Pharisees thought that, you know, they were the good kid. They were the older brother. Why, why should those sinners get a party? You know, I stayed home. I did my homework. I did the chores. I took responsibility for the house. And everyone around us knows that I'm the good kid. Everyone knows he's the bad kid. That he wished you were dead, Dad. He ran off. He wished you were dead. He took all the stuff. He took his inheritance. He took your gifts. And he squandered them in sinful living. And then he came back here with his tail between his legs. Now tell me, why are you giving him a party? I don't get it. And so the older son viewed himself as the better son, as a good son. But I don't think he really viewed himself as a son at all. I think he viewed himself more as a slave. Verse 29, But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends pick up on this these many years i have served you and i never disobeyed your command does that sound like a son that sounds like a slave right their religion was more about bondage than it was freedom to love god this many years i've served you and i've never disobeyed your command they were far from the heart of God, even though they did many things that appear that they were close to God. This older son represents the Pharisees and any of us who are presently like them, who think like them, who have an attitude like them. And how many of us are like this, thinking that we are so much better than others? A lot of Christians believe this, don't they? We're so much better than them. Our morality, our ethics, we're so much better. We know the truth and we all that stuff that we have served God for so many years. We've been a Christian so many years and we've never disobeyed His commands. We keep His commandments and, and we read the Bible and we do all this stuff. And then we get to thinking that we are entitled to the things of God and we get upset that God blesses people who seem to be less godly than us. God, how can you bless them? I've been following for years and I still don't have this or that or I still haven't been blessed with this or that. And then we blame Him for not blessing us. 
God, how can you find that, a spouse for that person? They're not, they just barely came to you. And I've been following you for so long, and I'm still single. It might be a blessing. Now look at what the older son said in verse 29. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. That guy got a fatted calf. You never even gave me a goat. A fatted calf is more tasty, probably. I don't know. I've never ate a fatted calf. I had goat. That's pretty tasty. Do any of you think that you're entitled to what God has to offer? Do any of us? We've been following you for so long. been obedient to you. Are any of us in that entitlement kind of mode? Does God owe you anything for the years of service and obedience? Does He? Do, do we deserve better than what we have? See, the truth of the matter is, we are not entitled to anything from God. We are not owed anything from God. And if we deserved anything from God, we wouldn't be here. If we're talking about justice, because God is a God of justice, we deserve judgment then, right? But with God, He gives us grace. He gives us good things that we don't deserve. And the younger son didn't deserve anything that the father gave him. It was all about the father's grace. And that's what the older son is in understanding here. He thinks it's about him and that he can earn what he deserves. And so to make matters worse for him, his younger brother really doesn't deserve anything, doesn't even try to earn anything, yet he gets everything. He's really ticked off about this. This is so wrong in the eyes of the older brother. He can't believe that his father wants him to attend his younger brother's party. He can't do what his father asks, which really tells you if serving his father all those years in obedience was really for selfish gain. That it wasn't because he loved his father. It was because he was looking to get something from it. And so this is where our true colors kind of show, right? In, in our pride and in our selfish gain. I mean, all this stuff is, is just filleted open for this guy. Like, so you served me all those years and you were obedient to me? Really? And this is what will happen to us if we don't have the same heart as God. Eventually something will come up that will show our true colors and whether that is of God or it is not of God. And it will show if we are merely slaves to religion or if we truly love God. Or if we're just enslaved to this idea that obedience and years of this, but really you're just a slave to religion. The differences between the two sons are deeper than what they first appear. At first glance, we may see that the younger son is this bad kid. He goes off and he squanders everything given to him, while the older son is the good kid. He stays home. He does the responsible thing. But if we dig a little deeper, we'll see that the differences are more profound. The younger son ultimately recognized his need for his father and hungered to go back to him. The older son didn't recognize his need for his father. He didn't develop this hunger to go back to his father. The older brother could see that his younger brother needed help to get his life back on track, but he couldn't see that he needed the help on his own. He he, he didn't know that he needed it. And so the younger son learned an extremely valuable lesson, even though he wandered off and he did some pretty terrible stuff. But he learned. The older son didn't. 
The younger son learned about his father's grace. He was ready to be treated as a hired servant. His older brother doesn't pick up on this lesson. And he hasn't internalized his father's grace even though they were in such close proximity. And even though he didn't offer to be treated as a hired servant, he lived as one though, right? And the younger son came back and he understood his relationship with his father, that it was one of grace, while the older son lived in his father's house, but not of grace. It was out of duty, out of obligation. Now, the church is sometimes bad at this. We have a bunch of older brothers inside the church, and then when somebody who's a prodigal comes back, we want to cast the first stone at them. We want to tell them how they were wrong. We want to get them in their place and and show them how sinful they were and all this kind of stuff. Let's not be that older brother there. And I'm not saying that church discipline doesn't have a place. I'm not saying that accountability doesn't have a place. But I'm saying let's look at our hearts before we approach people. Let's look at our hearts and make sure that we have a heart like the Father, Now let's not think that the Pharisees were all bad. See, not all church people are all bad. But keep in mind that these were very pious people. These are very religious people. They actually wanted to know God. They want to know God. They are seeking after God. They studied their scriptures, and they studied it a lot. And so they practiced hard pursuing God. But the thing is is that they practiced wrong. Right? See, practice does not make perfect. If you're telling your kids that, stop. Don't tell them that. See, if, if you keep practicing the wrong way, then you only get better at doing it wrongly. Right? You're practicing it wrong. So you have to practice pursuing in a right manner in order to do that thing well. Right? So you can't practice running a marathon backwards. You'll just get better at running backwards. But you're not going to win that marathon, right? So you, you, you might be an awesome backward runner. But the runner who practiced running forward is going to win. And so the older son practiced running really well. He was faithful. He was consistent. But he was practicing the wrong things. He's just running backward. See the kids think like, hey, dad, check me out. Check me out. Look at how I'm running. And dad's like, run forward. Run forward. See, we're all sinners. Right? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, For all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter how well we run to God. We still fall short. It doesn't matter. It is only through the Father's grace, through Jesus Christ, not what we do, but what He has already done. One brother lived better than the other. He stayed home. He did what he was supposed to do. He did what a good son was supposed to do. He probably won't have to deal with the same baggage as the younger brother will have to. But the difference is relative because they're both sinners. They've both fallen short. They're both in need of mercy. And the older brother just doesn't understand this. This is the same thing that the Pharisees can't understand. This is the same thing that a lot of Christians in the church can't understand. They see everyone else as the younger brother. And they hate the fact that Jesus was telling them that God's grace is available to you just as much as the people in this church. Just as much as religious folk. 
And they hated that people who were so outwardly sinful had the same opportunity with a relationship with God as they did, even though they followed the laws to the T and they lived moral lives and they did all they possibly could for God. Yet they still fell short because even through all their hard work at the end of the day, we're all sinners. And so they failed to recognize that God's grace is not in their equation. It's not... Read this much of the law. Pray this many times. Do this many good deeds. Go to church this many times. Give this amount of money. See, our relationship with God is not quantitative like this. Jesus wants all of you. Which I guess you can attempt to quantify. But how do you quantify the giving of your heart? You've either given it to God or you haven't. You can't divide that. It's either... For God, or it's not because He doesn't take pieces. It's all or nothing. If you give it to Him, He gladly receives it. But if it's given partially, keep it. Just keep it. I don't want it. I want all of it. And so I hear this sort of argument pretty often. You know, I believe people go to heaven if they're good people. And I hear that a lot. But see, God is not like the lady of justice with scales and the blind in the eyes right there. Oh, you, you've, you've made it because you did more good things than bad. Who are you? Right? It's, it's not like that. You're, your sin is this two-ton weight and there is no amount of righteousness in there to outweigh that. It's only Jesus who comes to the Father and He says, um, Dad, I'll take the hit for Him. I'll take the hit for her. I know they're guilty, but you know, take a look. I'll do it. I'll take it. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, the Pharisees, the older brother, some evangelical Christians believe we've positioned ourselves into heaven, that we've cornered the market into heaven, but we haven't. Jesus positions us for that. See, we didn't do it. It's all God's grace. Sin is more than just acts of rebellion. Right? Sin is deeper than that. Sin is the heart of rebellion to God. And we can have a heart of rebellion and still not act it out. Can we? Church folk are really good about this. I hate you. But I'll cover it up with my language. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? Hey, what's up? And, I, and, I'll, and, and the way that I treat you, I'll shake your hand. I'll give you a hug. And inside, I wish that God can just call a timeout just for a moment. God, call a timeout. I'll pop him in the nose. Just give, give me a timeout. Just two seconds. That's all I need, God. And then just let me exercise all the words that I want to say out of my mouth so I can make a drunken sailor proud. And just give me that timeout, God. But it's the heart that matters. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The older son had a heart of rebellion, just like I do. And sure, he didn't act out like his older brother did, just like me. You won't see me out in the club or out in a bar or getting drunk. Just, just like me. But his heart was equally as rebellious, just like me. See, the older brother was a son, but he, he, he lived like a slave, enslaved to the thought that he was too good to need his father, enslaved to the thought that he was good enough to earn his place in his father's house when it was by his father's grace that everything the father had was his. 
He, he was equally in need of the Father's grace and mercy, and he was just as guilty to presume he was entitled to what the Father had when he himself had a rebellious heart. He's guilty of the same stuff that his younger brother is. It's just not as overt. It's just inside. Last part of 29. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He's just as guilty as his younger brothers in wanting things from his father, except the younger brother just came out and said it. He was totally honest. Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff. And the older brother's thinking, just doing it in his heart. Uh, If I keep serving my dad, and when he dies, I'll get his stuff. But, you know, in the meantime, I'll just keep on plowing along. But it's still kind of twisted, isn't it? Did either son really deserve what the father had? Or what, what basis did they have to think that they were entitled to receive what was never theirs? See, it's only by the father's grace that this is even a thought of possibility. Our understanding of God is very evident in how closely our heart aligns with his. This older brother could not extend sympathy and grace to his younger brother, so how could he really understand the sympathy and grace his father is extending to him? It's the same thing for things like forgiveness. How can we truly understand that we've been forgiven by God if we don't forgive those who have wronged us? It's impossible. If you can't forgive, you can't understand that God forgives you. You can't. And I think that some Christian fundamentalists find grace really challenging. Where grace is just cheaply substituted by lists. Lists of do this, don't do that, have this theology, don't have this theology. Duties out of obligation rather than love. Outward growth while ignoring their internal growth. And living by rules that are absent of mercy. Pretty different to how the father goes out to his sons. It's all the Father's grace. And I think what the older son would have been happy with is actually the opposite of what happened in verses 20 and 22. Instead of the father looking out for his younger brother, just carrying on like everything's fine and like it's not a bother in the world. Rather than feeling compassion for him, that his father would march around with disdain and just be like, oh, I can't believe that, that kid giving him the cold shoulder rather than running to him, substituting a slap on the face rather than an embrace, substituting a spit in his face rather than kisses on his cheek, having nothing for him, just keeping him in those filthy clothes, having him just stink, keep him cheap looking, giving him no robe, no shoes, no ring, no nothing, having him know his place amongst the hired servants and throwing a party, not for him though, leave him out. I'm going to throw a party for the older brother because he listened to me and rub it in your face. And I'm sure the older brother would have loved that. He would have loved it. God's quite the opposite. Are you glad that God is so gracious to those who are so rebellious towards Him? Or are you like the older brother who, who refuses to go in the party to celebrate with the younger brother's return? How much resentment and bitterness will you hold? How much longer will you carry that card that says, you know, life is, life is fair. Life is fair. Life is not fair. Life is not fair. You may be relatively good compared to others, and it may bother you that we all receive the same love from God. 
But thank God He is not fair. If all of life was fair and all of life was just, you and I wouldn't have a shot to receive the love of God. Thank God that He's not fair. He is gracious. He's not fair. He's just. He's just. But thank God He's gracious. It's only the self-righteous and the prideful folks who, who feel that they are entitled for more from God. Who make their relationship with God a game of numbers and an exchange. I do this, so you do that. If I don't do this, then you do that. And we think that it's just like this game. I do this, and you give me the fattened calf for a party. And so when someone has no numbers, and has nothing to exchange, and they just come to God, and they're like, I have nothing. Treat me as a hired servant. And God says, I have a party for you. And I have a robe, and I have a ring, and I have shoes. I have everything that I have is yours. And so it's these older brothers that get upset about this. I can't believe it. I've been following him for so long. I've been so obedient. This guy comes in like two minutes ago, and he gets the same things as I do? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Because you don't deserve anything either. It's all God's grace. Grace is receiving the great things that we don't deserve. And this younger brother experienced it firsthand. Many of you have experienced it firsthand. And how much better of a handle you have on the meaning of grace. For those of you who have rebelled so far and you've come back and you've seen God's grace, you understand it. The ones that have a problem are those who grew up in the church. And they've done nothing wrong. They've been a good boy or a good girl. And they've followed the laws. And they've served God and all this stuff. They don't understand it as well as you do. They haven't experienced it. Verses 30-32 through But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What the father is getting across to his older brother is this party is not a reward for what the younger son has done. It's not to reward him for squandering everything, for rebelling. This party is a necessity. This is a need. This is how the the very nature of the Father, the very nature of grace, this is how it plays out. That the younger brother types of the world have an opportunity to restore their relationship with their Heavenly Father and for those older brother types to check their heart so they don't fool themselves to not be like their father and that they're invited into the party too. It's not a reward that you're this older brother who doesn't want to go to the party and you feel bad that you've been neglected. It's for you too. This is a party of grace. Both of you are invited. And I've met with some of you who have recently converted. And you've been given God's grace. But the people in your life aren't very excited for you. And it's unfortunate. But you know, this is to be expected because the people in your life, they feel uncomfortable that right before their very eyes is a person who has a relationship with God who is in the flesh telling them that they don't have to continue on the way that they live. It is very uncomfortable. 
you as a new Christian are showing your non-Christian friends and family that they don't realize that they don't know God. So of course they're going to take a posture of... I'm trying to think of a word that's not offensive. That that. Some of your friends and your connection and your family, they will humbly receive the grace of God just like you did. Some of them will. Some will oppose you. They will oppose your newfound relationship with God because you are a shining manifestation that God saves. And they're realizing that they don't know God. So of course they're going to come against you. Now for us older brother types, may we not get all holier than thou and lose the opportunity to be like our father and welcome the prodigals home. You, you, you haven't done what prodigals have done. You're the good kid. But maybe you're living as a slave rather than a son of God. Resenting God for what He's doing in your life and what He's doing in others' lives or not doing in your life and not doing in other people's lives. Resenting God for those things. Looking for recognition in doing the right things and hiding what you do behind closed doors that are shameful and embarrassing. And if you live like this, you're living in bondage. That's not freedom. You have to be two-faced about stuff. Oh yeah, i got to show that I'm, a, I'm serving at the church and all this is out in the open. But the sin that you're struggling with, you take it behind closed doors. You don't want to confess those things. You don't want to share it with the home group. You don't want to share it with the, the people in your life that love you. Don't do that. If you're struggling behind closed doors, bring it out. And we will try not to be like the older brother. If we have any older brothers in here, just report them. We'll report each other. Would anyone ever choose hell over heaven? Would anyone ever choose that? Yes. Why? Pride. If I go to heaven, the only way I enter is acknowledging I'm a sinner. That I need a Savior. That I'm messed up. And the only way of entering is if I humble myself on bended knee. Not with a puffed up chest and my head held high. See, God is not selecting those to go to heaven and those who are going to hell on the basis of who He likes. Heaven is open to all, according to Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. There are a lot more other biblical references, but let me just share with you four of them. Luke chapter 11, verse 10. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Luke chapter 12, verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Heaven is open to all. It's whether you allowed pride to get in the way of that. Pride as someone who doesn't know Jesus yet, or pride as someone who is religious, who is in the church, but self-righteous and arrogant to believe that you've cornered the entrance to heaven just like the Pharisees. 
For those of us who grew up in Christian homes, take a good look at yourself and figure out if you're just good at talking the talk and playing the game of being a good Christian. You've served the Lord all these years and you've done all this. Maybe our theological arrogance is hindering us from the Father's kingdom like it did the older brother, like it did the Pharisees. May we humble and learn from those who have recently come to Jesus or come back to Jesus like the prodigal son because they have a lot to teach us. Let's pray. Father, your grace is amazing. I pray, God, for those prodigal sons, those who have walked away and are coming back. I pray for those of us who view ourselves as the good kid and we've been serving you all these years that we are not guilty of what the Pharisees were guilty of. Forgive us for not extending grace like you do. Give us wisdom in how to love people, how to build them up, how to bring them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.